it really clearly, but in that in that Spider-Man comes home from doing some spidering thing. As he sneaks back into his house, his best mate is sitting on his bed. And that day, uh, it actually said to him, hey, I've just got the brand new Lego Death Star. And do you want to build it? Uh, and, and he says, oh, I'm a bit busy. but like, So Ned said, I'll, I'll start working on it and I'll bring it over. But he must have actually finished it off. And he, he basically brought it around to the house. And as he, Parker turns around and sees his best friend Ned, he drops this Death Star. Now... Just to put that into perspective, the Zesta has over 4,000 pieces of Lego. Okay, so, um, and so it, it costs a lot of money to buy. It would take a lot of time to build. Now, to get back to the finished product, you'll need firstly to gather all the pieces because Lego has this habit. When you drop it, it, it shatters. It's, it, it's joy in putting it all together, but it's not really conducive to violent behaviour of any kind. And so you have to gather all the pieces, but not just pick them up, but you have to find them. And remember, there's 4,000 pieces. Until you put it all back together, you won't be sure that you're actually missing any. Happened to me on numerous occasions. You go, wait a second, where is that piece? Where is it gone and where can I find it? But then you start to reassemble. You go back to the plan and you see what, what... it's kind of still done because sometimes it doesn't break all the way. So you go, oh, don't have to redo this, but oh, what's missing here? And, and all of a sudden it becomes too hard. And often what happens when I'm in a situation like that where things are kind of apart and they're, it's going to be hard putting them back together, they end up in a box and it becomes a job for another time. And so at times the rebuild becomes inconvenient at best and, and because of this the broken pieces get put away for another time. And when it comes to rebuilding, there is a lot that can be rebuilt. A house, a body, your health, your career, a car, a table, a website, a relationship, and even our walk with God are all things that can be rebuilt. But I think a part of the problem is when it comes to rebuilding, we can respond in three ways. No matter what you're doing, you can respond in three ways. First of all, it's too hard. Some people like going, they just go, oh, no, it's just broken. It's, I've got to get a new one. I can't fix it. Um, and, so, and we very much live in a world like that. We're very disposable. Um, like even years ago, I did some work experience from a guy from our tournament who worked in hi-fi repair. And he's, in the past probably 10 years, maybe long, his business just went bust because no one was getting anything repaired anymore because you just bought something new. It was too expensive to repair anything. And, but we, we apply that to a lot of things. We can't fix this, let's get a new one. I can't fix my husband, I'll get a new one. Like, um, no women nod here or anything like that. Um, I, I, I'm just seeing sort of very sort of serious looks at the moment. But, but the thing is, sometimes we can't fix it, we'll get something new, it's too hard, I'll move on. Or... We go then to step two, if we don't sort of want to get rid of it, we'll go, let's just do a surface repair. See, paint is great in covering up mistakes. The thing is, later on, though, you may find that, that there's something, a mistake under there. I, I remember years ago, uh, when Elizabeth and I were first married, um, I was working on, on some of my studies one night, and right near my desk, I could hear this little bit of a noise coming from the wall. But the wall was painted, it was fine. And then I, I, I was looking at the wall a little bit closer and I looked, as I looked closer, I went, 
that paint's looking a bit funny. And as I pushed my finger in through the wall, it went straight through. And all of a sudden, these little insects who were in a swimming pool, swimming around, having a party, ran to cover. Like, they were having this nice old party inside the wall, and all of a sudden, I had to ring the real estate saying, hey, um, you've got termites in your wall. But while the paint was there, it looked like it was okay. And so we can have that same approach to rebuilding things. We can get into a position where I can cover it with paint. I'll pretend that I can't hear the noise in my car by turning up the music. I can't hear that noise. What's wrong with my car? It'll be okay. It'll fix itself. Um, I can say sorry to my wife or husband or family to stop the argument and we can move on. I know what I need to do. I'll go to church and I'll say the right thing, smile when I have to, and then I'll go back to life as it was. But nothing has really been fixed at any time and it could fall apart. The last option is to rebuild. To fix, to fix it, yes, but in, in this approach, you have to make an honest evaluation of the situation first to get to the root of the problem. If you just try and fix stuff and you go, I'm just going to fix it up here and there's a problem underneath, then that's going to be an issue. Oh, if, if, if you go to the hospital and, and like, oh, I'm bleeding, I'll just stop the blood flow. Oh, but you need to remove the shark first. That's the problem. Like, if you can't sort of fix one without fixing the And so rebuilding, it, it takes that honest look. And, and the thing is, we want to get to a place where we can make it new again, strong again, to make it work as it should and to see it healthy and functional. And that's what I want to be looking at uh, over the coming weeks, the idea of rebuilding, not giving up, not making do, but to look intently at what has been broken or undone or not working and with God's direction, wisdom and power, rebuild. And to that, we're going to be spending our time in the book of Nehemiah, which the first chapter was read this morning. And so let's just jump in and meet Nehemiah, the rebuilder. He's not the builder, he's the rebuilder. Because basically, um, the whole premise of the book of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem to build the wall of Jerusalem. Now, that's a real simple way of saying that, but it's it's really significant. I'll bring out a few things today and in the coming weeks. But in, in Nehemiah 1.1, we actually are introduced to Nehemiah. It says, In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Zusa. Now, the time of this is around about 444 BC. So for those who are children here, you go, were mum and dad around at that point in time? Probably not. For the rest of us, you might be going, was Pastor Bird around here at this time? Probably not. Um, he was about 200 BC, I think, that was where he was a boy. Um, but now, where was he? He was in Zusa, which was the capital of the Persian Empire. So if you have a look um, where Persia is, and you go up a little bit to the left, you see Zusa, but then if you go straight across the channel, you see Judah and Jerusalem. So that's where he was in Zusa. And, and that white arch is basically the route that they needed to take. It was a safe way to travel. Um, now, who was Nehemiah? Well, Nehemiah was, I suppose, in a way, in exile. He hadn't probably been removed from Jerusalem, but his parents probably had been removed. He'd probably been born either under Babylonian rule and grown up and then, um, and then the Persians took over or he'd been born under Persian rule. And he had got to a place, he was Jewish, he, he still had connections with his Jewish family um, and he was the, had access to the king because he was the king's cupbearer. 
Now, the cupbearer was, they say it was, an, every time I read up about it, it was an honoured role, it was a trusted role, it was a very important role. And it was important because you had access to the king, but at the same time, it was a role that you took on because, okay, you had to taste the wine at every meal just in case someone had poisoned the king. Now, if that was me, I'd give that job to someone I didn't like too much. I'd give it to a guy who wasn't in an honoured position because I'm going, if someone doesn't like me, I want you to get him first. But Nehemiah was in that role. He was trusted. And and we see the importance of that next week as we continue into chapter 2. But because he would serve with the king, beside the king, um, the king would see him each day. And so um, for a lot of us, like we go, oh, maybe even in our workplace, we don't have access to our boss. Our boss might be two or three layers above us. And we kind of go, oh, can you get a message to the boss for me? And we kind of talk to the boss maybe once every six months. Nehemiah every day was in the presence of the king. And so that has importance as we continue in there. But the other thing we can note from Nehemiah, that he was a godly man. And we actually see him go to prayer quickly and often. He knows that the task is beyond him. And it's only with God's help that it will happen. And that becomes a significant thing, which we'll look at in a little bit. So that is Nehemiah the rebuilder. Um, And the thing is, for him to rebuild anything, something was broken. Something was broken. If there was no problem, there is no need to rebuild. Um, But for Nehemiah, there was a problem, which we see in in verses 2 and 3. Hanani, uh, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. Now, just pause there for a second. What had happened, um, so Judah got uh, conquered by um, um, Babylon, so King Nebuchadnezzar, and so that's where the story of Daniel happens. So this gives you a bit of perspective. So Daniel actually served in Babylon all of his life until the Persians came and took over. They conquered the Babylonians and they became the ruling empire. And so it was under the Persians that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. So Daniel was an old man by that point in time. So after that, you actually see um, a number of other Persian kings. And under King Cyrus, what happened, um, uh, he actually gave permission to the people to go back and start to rebuild the temple. And so that job, um, Ezra took that job on. And so at this point in time, the temple's been rebuilt. But, and so there are people living back in Jerusalem. And, but this is the news that he gets. So some men had arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. So it was such a big victory going, um, like basically getting to the point where like we've gone back, we're reclaiming the promised land, we're rebuilding the temple. But this is what they said to Nehemiah in verse 3. They said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace and the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Basically, a city wall was the way that they would protect themselves. Now, it wasn't uncommon, though, for a conquering city to destroy the wall of an occupied city. And the reason for that was to stop the city being able to under, like basically rebel again. If they had a protected city, they might go, we can protect ourselves, we'll rebel again. And so um, basically that wasn't an uncommon thing to happen. And so Nehemiah in this story has family visiting and you do what everyone does, you ask about the family gossip, but his brother brings distressing news. 
um, and the need was brought to Nehemiah's attention. Uh, but he could have responded, as I stated earlier. He could have went, oh, that is too bad. You know what? Like, you should come back and live in Persia because I, I might be able to give you a job. You can actually taste the wine first and then I'll taste it for the king. Like, it'll be a great job for you to have. Like, or you can come and give you another job. You come back and live in Persia and enjoy the luxuries of, of being involved in this country. He could have done that. He could have went, a bit of paint and it'll be right. He could have had that response. Oh, well, we'll just throw a few rocks together, paint it up. It'll look okay. Or he had to come to a point. He realised the walls needed to be rebuilt. And it really deeply affected Nehemiah. Because you see in verse 4, he said, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. He realised without the wall of around Jerusalem that the city would always be vulnerable, that the people would always be vulnerable, that the people may not really trust in God again because they didn't have what was needed. And so Nehemiah decided to do something. Now, if this book was just about building a wall, it could have been the biblical version of the block. And Nehemiah could have got his labourers, he would have designed something fantastic, the judges would have looked at it, uh, and they would have, through hard work and late nights, built the wall. But the first problem was that building a wall for a city was next to impossible because the resources needed were immense. They were immense. The foreign cities, as I said before, were often not left protected so they couldn't rebel. So if the wall started being rebuilt, all of a sudden they go, hey, you're trying to to run away from from us who who, who are protecting you. Thirdly, Nehemiah wasn't a builder. His job description was cup bearer. So he might have been able to serve water on the, on the work site, but that might have been it when it comes to, to building expertise. He had no team. And so Nehemiah did the one thing that he could do and he actually went to God. He said in verses 5 and, and start of 6, he said, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his command. Listen to my prayer. See, Nehemiah knew that God was the answer to a problem that he couldn't fix. Now, have you ever had that? A problem that you cannot fix? It might be yourself. You might go, I'm the problem. I can't seem to fix myself. Well, Nehemiah knew that if there's a problem that cannot be fixed, the one place that I can go is God. God had the resources. God could make a way. So Nehemiah didn't spend days um, fundraising or, or um, weeks using social media to change the king's mind. He actually went to God to pray. And in his prayer it becomes evident that there's more than that's just needing to be rebuilt than just a stone wall. Again, if this book is just about a stone wall being rebuilt, it would be over and over very quickly. But there is an underlying theme that of something else that was needing to be rebuilt. So what really needed um, to be rebuilt through Nehemiah? Well, as we see Nehemiah praying, he addresses the real, real, real problem. Remember, to rebuild, you need to do an honest evaluation. And this is what um, he prays in verse um, 6 and 7. He says, Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. 
We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees and regulations that you gave to us through your servant Moses. Nehemiah acknowledges the fact that the reason that the Israelites were first taken into Babylon and are now under Persian rule is because of broken relationship with God. There was a broken relationship. And so for the people to be restored, the relationship with God needed to be restored first. They had sinned and God had stepped back. And so Nehemiah confesses, you know, he confesses his own sin as well. See, sometimes we are really good at confessing other people's sins. Oh, you don't know what my kids have done and what my wife said and, and, oh, and all those other people at church did. But God, like, you are so glad that I'm, you should be glad that I'm here. We have this idea that my sin doesn't sort of stink to God. But Nehemiah recognised, hey, if I've got a broken relationship with God, if I'm out of step with him, then I need to rebuild that as well. And so he took the first step. He confessed the sin of the nation, he confessed the sin of his family, and he confessed his own sin to God. Because he wanted to rebuild his relationship. And this becomes an important priority for us. We can so often try to fix our lives and everything that it encompasses, but we don't fix the most important thing first. We don't get the foundation right. We can try and fix things at work. We can try and fix our marriage. We can try and fix ourselves through the stuff that we acquire. We try and fix our money problems. And God, I will fix things up with you when I get through everything else. But that is where things need to be flipped over. Because often we leave God to the last and God needs to be first. We need to fix things with God first, rebuild with him first. And out of that fix, everything else will flow. I believe that in doing our rebuild this way, it will last. It won't be a patch fix. It won't be a pain over job. It will be rebuilt on the strength and security of God. Now, for some of you... You don't have to rebuild with God. You may have to build for the first time. For some of you, you don't know what it truly is to trust God and and to let God be the centre of your life. But I will tell you this. I believe that if you've been doing your best to try and fix your life, you won't be able to do it yourself. God needs to be the centre. Not missing, not an extra bit, but a foundation that holds everything else up. Well, before I wrap up today, because we're going to be digging a lot further into this book, but I want to look at uh, Nehemiah 1, verses 8 to 10. Now, please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and my, obey my commands and, I, and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honoured. And the people rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. I was reading that this week. And please remember what you told your servant Moses. Have you ever prayed that way where you remind God something? Does God need reminding of things? He doesn't. So who was Nehemiah reminding? He was reminding himself of the promises of God. Now, maybe it's a little bit of a cheeky way of doing it, but the thing is, like, sometimes we remind God, hey, God, you said you would do this. You said I'd never be alone. And God goes, yep, you're right, spot on. 
tick for you and also I'm present with you. Oh, you said your grace would be enough. Yes, you're right again. And my grace will be enough. You said you'll always forgive me. You are three for three. Front of the class. Sometimes when we remind God of his promises, it is for our own faith journey. It was a step of faith for Nehemiah. Nehemiah was re-remembering who God was and what he can do. I don't know about you, but there are times that I have forgotten what God has done in my life. I've forgotten lessons that have already been learnt. Oh, I can trust in God, and then all of a sudden I'm trusting in myself again. I, I, can, I can sort of, I know that God will forgive me, and yet I'm trying to earn God's favour. I, I know that God will, has got everything in, under his control, and yet I'm worried about tomorrow. There are times that we need to re-remember what God has always already taught us. But also in doing this, in that passage, so you see Nehemiah reminds God of his promises, but it's also a return to relationship. As I said before, the beginning of this book is about um, rebuilding the relationship, rebuilding that relationship with God, the thing that was broken that prevented them from or actually put them under punishment. So when Nehemiah confessed his sins for, for the people, for his family, for himself, it was a step in that direction. But again, the second part of the prayer is a return to relationship. It says, I am yours. God, I am yours now. It says, if we return. And so in saying that, God, we want to come back to you. Before we go back to Jerusalem, before we go back to our old life, before we go back to whatever new things you have for us, we want to come back to you. And this year, if there's been anything, we're kind of wanting to go back, but the first thing we need to get right is our relationship with God. Because if that is not right, no matter what challenges we face, no matter what things get back to normal, again, we miss out on that element. So Nehemiah says, I am yours if we return. We will follow and obey. Nehemiah is making a commitment to God saying, I am yours, I will follow you, I will do what you ask of us and I will help the people do the same. That sounds like a recommitment to relationship, doesn't it? It sounds like he's rebuilding that relationship. It says the people are your servants. And again, it's another way of saying, I am yours. I am yours. And when we say, I am yours to God, all of a sudden we give him permission to do so much in our lives. If we say to God, God, you can fit in with my life, God has got this much space. But when we say, God, this is my life and I give it to you and I am yours, all of a sudden God can take all of our life and work through all of it. And then right at the end of it, it says, you will bring us back. You will bring us back. And all of a sudden, that is such a faith statement for Nehemiah because you will fix what we can't fix. We are a nation of people that most of us still live in a foreign land. We are mostly still prisoners. We can't return to our city in full because it can't handle us all coming back. Our city's in disrepair and and most importantly, our people don't really know who God is and maybe they'd lost faith in who God is because so much had happened to them, failing to understand it was our fault that we were in the position we're in. But Nehemiah says, I know that you, you will bring us back. You will fix what we can't fix. And so as we continue to journey through Nehemiah and look at rebuilding 
what God wants for us. We're going to continue looking, moving on from this point of rebuilding our relationship to looking at rebuilding our faith, rebuilding our purpose, rebuilding our hope, rebuilding our momentum. But it starts here. Now, for some of you today, you may be in a position where you're going, you know what? I don't know if I have a relationship with God. So you just get to band, um, build brand new. We don't have to, you don't have to be renovated by God. God gets to start brand new with you. And so today might be an opportunity to say, God, I want to say I am yours. I want to say we will, I will follow and obey you. I will receive all the things and you can come into my life and fix the things that I can't fix. There might be some of you sitting here today and you know what, you're going, I know what, I've been working on my life so much in my own effort and strength and my knowledge and I can never seem to get it right. Today is the day that you put down the hammer, you let go of the nails and you say, God, I'm going to put my life in your hands. I'm going to say I am yours and I'm going to let you fix it up the way that you want it to be fixed up. Because we want to rebuild our relationship. It might mean some of you need to spend some time before God saying, God, I confess these things that are keeping me from you. I'm going to have to confess that to you. But overall, we want to get to a place where we are able to rebuild our relationship with God so we can move into the rebuilding of everything else that God wants to see happen. Let's take a time, some time to pray. Lord, we, we thank you for, for moving through Nehemiah, but Lord, we, we know that you can do the same thing in his time that, uh, in our time that you did in his time. But it starts with relationship. And so, Lord, I want to pray for, for this church today. For, pray for me, Lord. I, I pray that we would stand before you in right relationship, that we would remove any barriers, we would confess sin, we would be willing to say yes. We would let go of control of our lives. That we would be willing to surrender to you fully and say, I am yours. But Lord, I go beyond that. I pray for those who are touched by this church. I pray for the young people that come to youth group that are yet to know you. I pray that you would be moving through us and that they too would come to know you. I pray for our city. I pray for our state and country that they too would be able to to know that, God, you can do something that you did in previous years and do it again today. And you, you will build your life in them. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would be moving in such a way today that we would let you build and rebuild as you see fit. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. <laughs>